You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Comedy Seller Show here on Sirius XM Channel 99. I'm here. Um, my name is Noam Dwarman. I'm the owner of the Comedy Seller. I'm here, as always, with uh, my very good friend, Mr. Dan Natterman. Hello, Daniel. How do you do? And uh, we have <clears throat> Mike Kaplan. Hello. Who's, uh, he's, he's become our resident lefty. So whenever we, <laughs> whenever wow. we have a topic that we need someone re- like really... Well, ha- happy to be here to present what I think is a reasonable account. On the authentic uh, far, le- far left, alt left, what do you call yourself? I call myself a, a compassionate person. All right. is a stand-up comedian with multiple television appearances. Um, his one-hour special, uh, what's the name of the company that, that guy? Uh, uh, oh, it's, it was, it's New Wave or whatever New Wave is now. I think it was Comedy Dynamics. Yes, it? Comedy, Comedy Dynamic. Dynamic. Yes, uh, they produced it and it's on Amazon now. Uh, his... his, uh, his is on Amazon, and he has a podcast called Broccoli and Ice Cream. Okay, and the guest of honor, someone I didn't think we were going to be able to, to get you. First of all, you're one of my mother's heroes. <laughs> my mother is to the left of Mike Kaplan. Wonderful. Oh, wow. a, uh, get her in here. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, Matt Taibbi is the author of the, New York Times be- is of the New York Times bestsellers, Insane Clown President. Not about Trump. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Divide, Griftopia, and The Great Derangement. He's a contributing editor for Rolling Stone and winner of 2008 National Magazine Award for Columns and Commentary. So my big interest in, in meeting you was because, though I, we probably don't agree on a lot of things, the stuff that you were writing about Russia I thought was absolutely stunningly dead on, and, and so did he. Before we get to that, we had a big week of mob rule censorship here at the Comedy Cellar, and that might interest you. Sure. So, Dan, if you want to run it down, let's just cover it. I will run it down. I want to say, uh, just real briefly, I ran into Ginger from Gilgan's Island at my gym last Tina week. Tina Louise? Yes, I did, and I recognized her. She has the same mole on her, uh, I guess it's her <laughs> left cheek, it would be. But in any case, I thought that was interesting. I won't divulge the name of the gym <laughs> so to, to avoid stalkers, but... I thought that was an interesting thing. Anyway, you, yes, this week was a big week at the Comedy Cellar. You don't mind? You don't mind sitting through this a little bit, do you? No, well, of course no. Not. Well, I, I don't know what your schedule is, but it's, it, it never happens. But this week but, we had two big but, things. But uh, Periel, by the way, is not here. You forget. You neglected to mention. Periel is not here. Go ahead. Um, she's uh, in her. Uh, she's uh, in Israel. Cares. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dina Hashem. We we do a show, uh, Matt. I don't know if you're familiar with this week at the Comedy Cellar. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the show? I've heard of it, yeah. I'm okay. not familiar with it. It's on Comedy Central. <laughs> I got kids, so, yeah. yeah, you got kids. It's on Comedy Central, and we uh, the comedians go up and they talk about the week's news in joke form. Mm-hmm. So Dina Hashem, one of our newer uh, comedians that works here, who is, I believe, Arab-American, um, she did a joke about the murder of rapper Triple X Tentation, I think. Is, uh, Tentacion, perhaps? I, I'm not sure. I don't I'm follow rap, <laughs> as you know. Uh not since the Sugar Hill Gang was some time ago. <laughs> One of your faves? Um, I don't know why. That, that, the, the murder of that rapper was like a year ago. But for some reason, it's back in the news, I think. For some, I don't no, know. No, just because Dina met Dina did the joke about it. That's why. Yeah, but she did a joke for the, for the Comedy Cellar show, which is about weekly news. Oh, I news. see. It was in, yeah, okay, so yeah, I don't know yeah. why she did that joke. But in any case, she did a joke. She, the joke essentially was saying that uh, 
because th- this rapper was murdered, he had a lot of money on him at the $50, time. Fifty thousand dollars. He was so, so so so. Dina said something to the effect of that should be a Venmo commercial. Right, that right. was a joke. It makes, it makes, more, it makes me think, why don't I have Venmo? Right? Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very tragic. But on the other hand, I I thought this would be a great commercial for Venmo. Yeah, some some. Um, yeah, so apparently she got a lot of very, very nasty reactions on Twitter, which is Twitter is, is kind of, that's what happens on Twitter. Yeah, no, it's kind I of don't. a cesspool of, of hostility and, and, and hatred. So, 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 so we got shut down for that. But, mm-hmm. uh, well, she, what, Comedy Central elected with Dina's urging to pull the joke. Yeah, Comedy Central, to their credit, as far as I understood, it was going to stand by them, stand by it. With only a couple hours left to spare, but then... The threats became too dangerous, and they doxed her mother, I think, and she had to hire security. And, it just, and at the same, the same week, we were sponsoring a reparations debate. Oh, we, we do like half a dozen debates a year. Okay. And it had like, uh, I forget who the panels were, but Coleman, Coleman Hughes, Hughes was there. Coleman who spoke in front of the Congress a couple weeks ago. Amy Wax from your alma mater, UPenn. A- Amy Wax, and um, before the recent Amy Wax controversy, and, and some experts on the other side. But anyway... Uh, we started getting threats about that, of disruption, mm-hmm. th- that we shall not have a debate about reparations. Wow. And so I... Not, I, even, not even have the debate or... Yeah, that we shouldn't have the debate. Okay. And if we did, they were going to come and they were going to disrupt. This was this group called ADOS, uh, African Descendants of Slaves. American Descendants of Slaves. American Descendants of Slaves. Okay. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's just the times we live in. We had two, two nice things uh, that, that were scheduled in, and um, they, they get shut down, and the, and the self-censorship that is caused by these things can't even be measured, but sure. it's, it's huge. Yeah. Now, now, Noam, um, how disappointed are you? I, I was very much looking forward to the reparations debate. I thought it was going to be quite interesting. Um, I, I'm disappointed. Of course I'm disappointed. Um, but I, I, I shut it down because we don't have the expertise. Like people were telling us, just hire more security. But we don't have the expertise to handle that kind of thing. And it can take on a life of its own. And before you know it, somebody gets hurt. And then, uh, or, or, you know, a lot of the security, most of the security guys are black. And then they, you can have other people taunting them. Like, oh, you're doing the slave master's bidding. And it can get very, there's all kinds of. Right. Bad scenarios that I could see coming out of it, all of which could go viral right. or have somebody get hurt. Either one is horrible. And um, I had to remember that this is something we do just for gratification and because it's, you know, fun and we're interested. But it's not our regular. It's not what we do for a living here. And I thought it would be irresponsible to take that kind of risk just to indulge myself in these debates. So we'll do other debates in the future. But I did speak to one of these people. This is interesting. <clears throat> and I talked to you about this one time. I spoke well, to you're one referencing of these, a man who hasn't I, no, no, been introduced. I spoke to one All of right. these uh, ADOS, uh, th- this woman from ADOS, and w- she came at me very strong in the beginning. She had like one of the first questions: "What are you? Are you a Jew?" She <laughs> said to myself, like "But I didn't. I didn't react." And by the end, we actually had a pretty nice conversation, uh-huh. which ended so nicely. I said, "You see, this conversation we're having and all the back and forth—that's all I want from from the debate." Right. So it was. It was really, you know. Well, look. There's there's so much controversy now over. I mean, I think we all kind of grew up with the idea that comedy, that the the role of comedy is to explore these things, right? And, and but this wasn't going to be funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Even if it's not <laughs> the role of comedy is not to be funny, Matt. <laughs> so so what she said to me. This is what it is. Uh-huh. So she said to me one. She said she said you're. I, I didn't. And I got. I, I didn't, I didn't want to tell her I was Jewish. I said, it's probably obvious, but I don't know why you're asking me that. But she says, well, anyway, 
you wouldn't do a debate about the Holocaust, would you? <laughs> and, and I just kept quiet. But the truth is, as Dan knows, and I think it's told you, I wanted to do a debate about the Holocaust. I wanted to get some Holocaust deniers, the best ones, you know, and and get and like and that. have it debated. Right. And as you'd once said to me, on the one side, I said, "Well, how do you know it's six million? How do you know? Like, go through all of it, and then hopefully humiliate them. <laughs> hopefully, they don't have a case. You know, it's a little right. bit, a little bit of a calculated risk. But my thinking being that the best way to take this on. Like when I when somebody says something outrageous like that that I feel is not true, I want it a live televised debate for the whole world to watch. You agree with that? Or? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, the the atmosphere is so bad right now. I mean, how bad is it for stand up comedy? I can only imagine. I mean, in in, in in punditry, it's it's really been bad in the last three or four years. But you know, comedy. I mean, are, are you steering away from every subject? Well, now um, gentlemen. I- well, Mike hasn't spoken yet, so we'll give Mike the the mic. Thank you, Dan. I mean, I think it's interesting that with the Holocaust, there were reparations paid, so they didn't. They did debate that like pretty soon after it happened, and it's it's interesting to me that there's a group uh, of descendants of slaves in America who are, uh, according to this situation, like not wanting there to be debate because I mean, Ta-Nehisi Coates's whole like I just read and listened listened to today on the way here the case for reparations, like, to be refreshed about it. We and the whole caught in a lot of crosstown traffic, because that's a hell of a long... Uh, I was uh, coming from Connecticut. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it was an hour and a half, and it was... I mean, it, I hadn't really engaged with it uh, this extensively, and there's, I mean, so many facts, and then so many uh, just, you know, beautifully made points to get to the point where he wants uh, there to be a public debate. That's what he wants is like HR 40 to go forward and for there to be like, there's no money on the table, uh, with this bill. It's just a bill to be passed to explore, be like, Hey, check. We check if water is healthy. We check if air is healthy. Like, Hey, why don't we see if the worst thing that America ever did like is having lasting implications, which it is. And if there is something that we can do about it, and if there's something, if so, what should we do about it? Like, all that he and many other uh, black people these days want. Like, I'm certainly also, there's no black people in the room, I don't think. Uh, and that's also, an imp- there, it's important to listen to what, the, obviously black people are not a monolith as well, but it's important to listen. He's, he's uh, are you black? He's, he's of color. I'm Palestinian. Yeah, so uh, that is not a black person. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, people of color. So, uh, so, so yeah. this is interesting. No, what, no one did 23andMe. I think you had some, uh, some. No, my kids, my, my wife has some. Oh. So, uh, um, so I asked her the following question about, about reparations, because I think this is one of the hardest questions. I said, if you had 12 young black kids in a bad neighborhood, all of whom were suffering the classic difficulties that we attribute to poor black kids, hassled by the police, crappy schools, having trouble getting a job, you, know, you, you name it. And four of them are descendants of Haitian immigrants from the, the 40s. And the other eight are descendants of slaves. Are you going to literally tell, okay, you eight over here, here's your check. You four over there, you're on your own. I think one of the answers. And we, we, yeah. you know what she said? Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she said yes. And I said, well, all right. At least, least I, I credited her with, this is the woman from who, one of the people who protested the thing. One of the things but that I, I think. That's crazy yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the money would be used to build schools and help. Like no, help she, no, all, she, that's not what she no, wants. A I'm check. Not, yeah, that's not. Well, she's not in charge, <laughs> no, and she's that, not the only person. Yeah, but that's but we, one, but we're already building schools. We already spent trillions of dollars to try to help. That's one of the things that could be debated. Yes. you're not just debating reparations, yay or nay. You're debating 
in the what form, of it, the yeah. structure of it, which yeah. Yeah. is also is going to have to be discussed if if there are reparations. Uh, you know, this is going to have to be discussed anyway. So I just so, found uh, it stunning that she was like ready to cut those other black people loose because they didn't have the right DNA. Yeah, it's just but all right. Well, they, look, they could be helped in other ways, but as far as reparations are concerned, she wants just for the American descendants of slaves. I mean, and yes. Ta-Nehisi Coates in the case for reparations actually isn't only making the case for reparations of slavery, but it's Jim Crow, which lasted until 1965, and also housing discrimination, which is like a legacy of slavery that still continues to this day with black people 10 years ago getting bilked more disproportionately into subprime mortgages. So let's move on. Well, but you know, you you never answered Matt's question, which was how does all this this environment affect stand-up? I think that stand-up thrives and everything. Art thrives under pressure. You know, Every, there's everybody. I can say whatever I want. Dina, Dina can't. She did. She said it. She wants you won't again. I understand. I mean, and I think that uh, that's a case. It's so he, a, yeah. he has some sympathy for this cancel culture thing. And this is why I wanted you here. And as a lot of people I know have had until it happened to them. I actually uh, disagree with that assessment of me. But uh, please continue. No, I'm done. You, you, <laughs> so I disagree. <laughs> well, so then, for instance, when the guy from Netflix who was discussing... Aziz? No, the guy... There's was, a lot of guys on was, Netflix. I forget his name. He was... I'm going to tell... I'm going to fill in the blank. He was discussing the N-word in the context of an issue they had about the word retard. And he, said, he compared it to the N-word, but he said the N-word out. And nobody in the room had any thought that he was using it as an insult or that he would ever use it as an insult, simply having a conversation about the word. And he said the word and he got fired. Uh, You're okay with that. I didn't fire him and I don't know anything about the situation. But but that, but your instinct isn't like, what the hell? Like my instinct is that uh, somebody should have a conversation with him too about the use of the word. All right. We can go. I'm not going to. I'm not going to concentrate on Mike because uh, I can get Mike anytime, and I, I want to talk about Matt. <laughs> well, I, so, I okay. <laughs> well, no, I was going to respond to Mike's question. We don't have to focus to the on effect me. of, oh. of uh, cancel culture, etc., on stand-up comedy. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Matt apparently hasn't seen my act, but I tend to avoid controversy, uh, and always have in my act, so it doesn't affect me directly. Um, I think that. I think that. You know, and I've, ha- I've, I've said this before, that there have always been issues you couldn't touch. Um, and maybe now it's more severe with, with Twitter and, and, and online mobs. But- yeah, but I mean, if you think about comedy in the past, Richard Pryor, Sam Kinison, Bill Hicks, like the, the whole idea was to go straight for the most forbidden, um, you know, idea that you could possibly get and express it in a way that, you know, express something about that people were thinking but were afraid to say, right? That that was kind of the idea back in the day. Now people are afraid to go anywhere but near I think, a lot I of think these back Harlan used the N word like a sledgehammer. I think back know? in the day, as of now, most comics didn't do that, but some did. I don't I don't think most comics were ever, you know, um pursuing those topics. Yeah, but Dan I, But but there were there were some that did. But there weren't, I don't know what you mean, there were always things you couldn't say. There were always things that you couldn't say on network television because you knew you could ruin your career that way. But that was always regarded as, you know, a, a bad thing. The network television was a bunch of squares who were, who were um, s- censoring. 
But there was never a time when you could go on stage at the Comedy Cellar and say the wrong thing and your career could somehow be ended or even impacted. Never. You could be booed off stage and you, you, get booed and, off stage, and yeah. you would never do it again. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of the best comedians, I, I think the, the well, difference what is... You mentioned Sam Kinison. What do, you, what do you think he said then that he couldn't say today? You couldn't do the joke where, you know, I don't approve of violence against women. I understand it. You know, that, that whole thing. You couldn't do that joke now. I mean, I mean there's, a, there's a million jokes that, that he did that were, <laughs> that were really, you know, I mean... Bill Burr does jokes yeah, like yeah. that now, for sure. Yeah, well, Burr, but you know, that's, but there is that flip side that Burr doesn't need anybody. He's a self-contained thing and he has his own oil, so he doesn't have to get a gig from anybody. Sure. Can I, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but no. can I offer, uh, there's a comedian I know in Boston who I love named Mike Dorval, and he has a joke about being, he's a white man, he's married to a Chinese woman, they have a child who is half white, half Chinese, and his joke, uh, he's watching with his kid, he's like, I love Tom and Jerry, sharing Tom and Jerry with my kid, uh, and there's a scene where one of them gets hit on the head, and the eyes of the character get, that gets hit turn Asian. And he's like, oh, this is horrible from like decades ago. I don't want my kid seeing this. He's Asian. I don't want him to think that that's what happens. And so I say to my Chinese wife, I said, can you, do you remember when this was okay? And she says, no. And so it was clearly okay to make that cartoon at the time, but it didn't mean that the communities that were, that it was about and that were impacted by it were okay with it. And I, so I think the N-word is similar. You always could say it and hurt a lot of black people's feelings. No, 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 no that's not true. It, it, pe white people were able to say it. Actually, they still are, to tell you the truth. I know a lot of black people. You, white true. people were able to say it in a conversation. Like, I could say, I, I'd even said it up until recently, like, if, if my door guy uh, got in a fight with somebody, I would say, yeah, this, this customer came in and called him, and I would say what they called him. And nobody black ever looked at me like, how, how could you say what was said? I understand. Um, but there are black people who, John, if they heard it, wouldn't be happy. Uh, well, I, if, yes, there are some of everything, but it was not. I, I don't believe I look. I don't believe that was the case. But good. There's a there's the whole point of comedy is there's a fine line between tasteless and funny and tasteless and insightful. Right. So bad comedians will reach for something using, you know, difficult material and screw it up. And great comedians like Richard Pryor will, will use that same material and it'll be funny and insightful and people will come out. Sure. And, you know, look, but, but Richard Pryor, look, think, think of the stuttering Chinese uh, waiter routine that he did that it lasted like six minutes. It was completely <laughs> and totally offensive. Like, you know, you could never do that material today. Agreed. But, but when Richard Pryor did it, it was funny and people walked out of it and they didn't feel mean spirited toward, toward one another. But that doesn't mean you can walk around saying the, the N word. I mean, it was, it, the whole point was there, there was a little bit of room to try something, s screw it up and learn from your mistakes. Now, yeah. if you screw up, uh, and you say something wrong, it, the, the punishment is just more severe. But and so people avoid the, the... Can I zoom out and add to that? Yeah. It's also that we also even had more tolerance f all around for things that we despise. So like Bob Grant, <laughs> remember Bob Grant? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Bob Grant was a radio personality on a, a talk radio, and, and he said the most outrageously disturbing things. And, and he was criticized for it. He was called a racist for it. But he kept his show. It... it, it until the very end. Um, David Duke would be a guest on talk shows, on, on Geraldo. You know, we just, 
We just we were able to. You'd, and you'd like to return to David Duke being a absolutely talk? okay. Yes, I would. I I agree with Noam on this one. I mean, I want I want to hear I, I, from everybody. I would love to hear Richard Spencer. I'm, he was interviewed by uh, Kamau. Kamau Bell. Yeah, I was actually going to bring yeah. him up. He has a joke about the well, his white friends asking him if it's okay to when is it okay for us to say the M word, and he says you can say it anytime you want when you're ready to deal with the consequences of saying it, yeah, and but, that's free speech. So, but when when Charlottesville was happening. I remember, uh, was, it, was it Richard Spencer or the other guy, J- 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 Jason? One of these white supremacists. I, I wasn't really familiar with them. And when it was all going on, I began to Google because I wanted to read and hear. And in real time, this stuff was being taken down off the internet. Like a, a video that I wanted, was, all of a sudden the video wasn't available. And I said, what are they doing here? Like these powers that be were going to make sure that I couldn't educate myself on what was being said. And you have sympathy for that? Uh, I have sympathy for a lot of people doing a lot of things. Maybe do do you? How about you have sympathy for Amazon dropping books that are under? No, I don't want that. You don't like that. No, I also think when you say you want to hear from everyone, you can't hear from everyone at once. You have to choose who you're hearing from. And I say, why not start with mostly people who aren't white supremacists? Yeah, but except, but except that we have a situation now where we never had before, where actually bandwidth is no longer an issue. Meaning. There used to be a, a limitation of pages, how many uh, of hours on a television. It's unlimited now. There's no reason to limit anything because there's no opportunity cost of it. I mean, right. our lives are limited, so I, I'm choosing. Do you understand it. my argument? Like at the same time, at the time when actually there's no rationale, like we couldn't fit it in. We had there's none of that anymore. There's oh, yeah. unlimited everything, and it's free to distribute it. Basically, you know, in all, for all intents and purposes, free. There's also the, there's the distinction like in, in you know in the in journalism business between telling people about about something that is happening right and 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 then being the person who's actually expressing the bad views. So right now they're they're not making that distinction. Like if you're if you're if you ran a documentary or you shot a documentary about Charlottesville, they will put they're pulling down footage now uh, of people who are even critical uh, of those white supremacists. Equally, as they are pulling down the, the, the footage shot by the white supremacists. That now, seems the, the, misguided, the, for the, sure. So the yeah. problem there is that, is that in, in, the, in the interests of, of taking down the offensive material, now audiences are uninformed about what's actually happening in the world, which, which I think is a problem. I agree with that. Big problem. Okay, Russia. You called it all along. What would you say, and, and, I, and you can go free form on this to whatever you want, whatever, how you ever want to present, but what would you say was the insight? Like when you look at, and you must have this experience, like you're a smart guy, but you know other smart people. Yet IQ does not seem to explain why it was so clear to you and other people, maybe even smarter than you, had no fucking idea, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll take this, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you account for that? What, what, what was your insight? I mean, I think in the journalism business, there were a lot of us who, you know, who've, who've, been, who've done this for a long time, who recognized early that there was a lot of groupthink going on with this with this story. Well, what did he predict about Russia? Because uh, I, I don't the premise itself. You, you, I, you, you, I mean, uh, the the early problems with the story were they were there were a couple of things. They were asserting all sorts of connections between Russia and Russian interference and the Trump campaign. Who, who was I, asserting? 
you know, people in the media, you know, and then and then when the Mueller investigation started, they they were consistently promising that this would co- result in the end of the Trump presidency, and there would be there would be lots and lots of reports that said things to the effect of, um, you know, he has a lot more than 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 we can report, or and the, or that he's telling us, and that the walls are going to cl- are closing in, and Trump is going to be indicted any moment now, and you know, this was a drumbeat that that started uh, in in the newspapers and, and was, was growing on cable news. And there were a whole series of stories that, that were retracted that, sh- you know, in a normal press environment, you'd see stories that would be mistaken and there'd be retractions in both directions. Right. But all the retractions were in the same direction with this story. They were all, they were all in the direction of, you know, sort of showing uh, that there were connections between Trump and Russia that, that, uh, that they later had to, had to withdraw. And, and by the way, I, I don't want, with mm-hmm. Trump, it's not just the Russia story. I mean, it started on day one with the bust of Martin Luther King. Like every story about Trump that has to be retracted falls in the same direction, including Russia, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, like, I, I covered Trump from the beginning and, uh, and you know, I, I at first thought he was crazy and unelectable. And then there was a moment, I think, in the campaign after he won the nomination where the press suddenly started to feel guilty for having given him a lot of free coverage. And I even heard this on the campaign trail where reporters started to say, oh, we have to kind of dig in a little bit more because we're, we're sort of responsible for him winning. And I thought that was a kind of a dangerous moment because, you know, it's kind of not our jobs to, you know, stick our finger in the uh, in the works there. But if they had been giving him more than he deserved earlier because he was funny or a character or a sure. caricature, then well, wanting to back up that it makes sense that they'd want to be lesser than more. They want to be like fair and equilibrium establishing. Sure, but you make up for that by by evening out the coverage distribution, not by being editorially more negative. I mean, you know that what I'm sense. saying? Yeah. You know, I mean, Trump got 23 times as much coverage as Bernie Sanders, and they were actually kind of similar stories within the primaries. They were both rebellions against their own party. They were both doing pretty well. And he got so much more coverage than Sanders because of the ratings, right? And and we all knew it. Uh, and then they, p- people started feeling guilty about it. So. So, so you did a long article. Was it just on online? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it was a long, great. I must have sent it to 50 people. Right where you just went through all the, the, the stories that had to be retracted. You want to give us the top three, like most, you know, most important? Let's see. There was the one where they, um, CNN came out with a story that, uh, that they had proof that Trump had foreknowledge um, of the WikiLeaks uh, disclosures, and then it turned out that they had just misread the dates on the some date emails. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they had this poor guy on air on live TV saying, oh, I guess it doesn't mean as much as we thought. Um, you know, there were, there were a series of stories, um, you know, asserting, uh, I'm trying to think now, um, there was the. Uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I no, that's okay. No, the, there, were, there, was the, there was the one with the. Um, uh, the, the Russian weather report. Uh, the, um, Matt, do you not remember everything you've ever written or read? <laughs> I'll have to go back and look. No, but he went to a whole. The, the, the Michael Cohen in, the pinging in Prague was one. Of oh, my God, the Prague story. Oh, my God. That, the, the, that was, that, they, they got that one wrong like five different times. In fact, even after, um, even after the Mueller report came out and said that affirmatively that, that Cohen had never been in Prague, uh, McClatchy, which did the original report, doubled down and said that their report was correct, uh, that they had found Cohen's the evidence that Cohen's cell phone number had been in Prague, 
and they refused to retract the story. So that was a consistent theme of, of this whole period, too, that the, they would get things wrong and then just simply not, not retract them. There, there was... Um Oh, another one of I remember was that they were that that uh, Comey was going to testify that Trump oh. never uh, never told him that he wasn't under investigation. Right. I mean, yeah. Comey never told Trump. Yeah, that, that Comey told Trump that Trump had said that Comey had told him uh, that he wasn't going to be. A, times, yeah, right? wasn't yeah. a target of the investigation, and there there was there was a story that Trump that Comey was going to come out and say that uh, that that wasn't the case, and then they had to retract that. There was another one. The New York Times did a, a very influential one that said that um, that the Trump campaign had had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. This was a a story that was sourced to the New York Times that had uh, and. One of the consistent features of them is that there's often more than one source. This, the Times cited four current and former U.S. officials. Uh, Comey later testified that that story wasn't true. So how does this all happen? Well, so one of the things that happens when you're doing national security stories is that you get a lot of sources who won't be on the record, right? So you're dealing with somebody who either <clears throat> is in Congress and has a security clearance or works in one of the security agencies um, or is a lawyer connected with the defendant in one of these stories, and they'll say, oh, here's this thing I heard, but you can't use my name, right? And sometimes what they'll do is if it's a, a person, say, in the CIA or the FBI, um, you'll get a source telling you something, and then they'll say, you can call these three people uh, to, to get confirmation for this. And so it's really one source, right? Because the story comes from one place and he has maybe three coworkers or three subordinates. But it'll show up in the story as four people confirm that this is true. So it's not like you're actually cross-confirming it with four people. This is a dirty little secret that people don't understand when they read these stories. They, they think it's actually four sources when it's really one. This is uh, one of the issues in the FISA warrant, too, that they were using, the, uh, that he told the newspaper, and then they used the newspaper also for to verify. Yeah, that was something that happened in the WMD thing, too, right? Because if you remember, Dick Cheney uh, did this trick where he would tell a reporter something about um, WMDs being discovered, the newspapers would report it, and then Trump, then Cheney would go on TV uh, like two days later and say, "See, the New York Times says this is true," and that's kind of happened with the the FISA thing. What they did is they referenced stories that they themselves had been the sources of. You know, it's funny you bring that up because that was actually that, was it Scott Ritter? Was that his name? Yeah, the, the weapons inspector. The we, so this, there was this weapons inspector Scott Ritter who uh, during the first. Re, when the inspections first started, was very anti-Saddam Hussein. And, and then in the run-up to the second Gulf War, he began to say Saddam doesn't have any weapons of mass destruction. Right. And everybody descended on him, and they tried to make out that he was getting paid by Saddam. I mean, all, and I believed it all the time, too. And then it turned out he was telling the truth all along, and he was right all along. And it was all character assassination coming from a particular agenda. And I never forgot that. Like, ever since then, I really go slowly before I jump to a conclusion just because when I hear that people who are very motivated to want the outcome are attacking the character of the person who's, who's right. standing in their way of that outcome. Yeah, and that happened a lot in this case. I mean, anybody who had anything to say about this that was, that was not towing the party line about Russiagate was accused of being, you know, a useful idiot in cahoots with the Russians propagating Russian propaganda, right? There, I mean, this was even, the Washington Post even did a story that cited this group called Proper Not that was collecting lists of people they felt were too sympathetic to the Russians. And there were all these different people on the left and the right in the press. Um, and so people, I, I mean, I know a lot of people in the business who were afraid 
to come out and say, well, you know, this part of the story doesn't make sense to me. I mean, there was a guy in Politico who said, you know, I'm a little bit of a skeptic on this. And he got so much, you know, crap for it that he renounced himself a couple of weeks or later. Or the people who, people who would normally be credible, like Bob Woodward. Bob Woodward, I, I, I mean, I had this argument with somebody in his book. He said he found no evidence of collusion. Now, if Bob Woodward had come out and said he found evidence of collusion, it's Bob Woodward. It's a big story. Mm-hmm. But since he didn't find it, I mean, almost nobody even knows he wrote that in the book, right? This is kind of It totally- wasn't in the Washington Post. Uh, it, 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 it only came out in a podcast. Now, now Matt. And uh, we really found out who the Garfunkel was in Woodward and Bernstein, right? Because <laughs> Ber- Bernstein was a total jackass. Anyway, go ahead. Um, <laughs> what, what's becoming clear to me is that journalists are a bunch of incompetence, except for a relative few. Much like comedians. <laughs> Much like human beings, perhaps. Yeah. Now, exactly. the good news about comedy is it doesn't really matter if most comedians aren't very good. But if most journalists aren't very good, we have a real problem on our hands because you perform an inf- a function that is absolutely indispensable. Yeah. So how then do we deal with this problem? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough. And look, I mean... I- I should preface this by saying I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but, I, but I'm... You sure uh, sound like one. Uh, You've been defending him for two years. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what people say to me, and it's so frustrating. I mean, but the, the, this whole thing has been really depressing to me and to a lot of people in the business because there, this, this really got worse about three years ago, and it has, to do, it has a lot to do with the way the business works. Like, if you work for MSNBC and you get up there and you say something, you know, suggesting that the Russia gets story, there's something wrong with it... You know, ratings will go down. People can see in real time what happens with viewers now. So you avoid they avoid that content. So both Fox and NBC, they essentially just preach to the choir, right? They have their own audiences. They feed the news that they know. They pick the news they know that those audiences are going to like, and they give it to them. And so the old function of reporters, which was to kind of call balls and strikes and and not say what side they were on, it's just gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Although you said something just interesting there, just as an aside. You said they picked the news the viewers were like, which is not the typical rap on Fox. The typical rap on Fox is that they make it up or that they're lying about everything. Yeah, that's not quite right, I don't think. I mean, look, Fox has But it's much easier just to pick the few stories. Yeah, yeah, but it's both, right? It's both those things. Right, yeah, but the, the thing is, you don't have to really make up the news. You can go through every morning and pick the nine or ten stories that you know certain you know your audience is going to like right i mean the classic fox took a technique that they got really from the tabloids here in new york city which was to put a lot of crime stories in the front a lot of mug shots of black suspects they knew that certain kinds of audience particularly you know sort of white audiences in the in the, in the boroughs were would get mad about these stories and they they did they test marketed them so they did them over and over again and fox did that a lot in the, in the early days and you can you can do the same thing with political content you can just take stories that are you know are going to make people upset um same thing with liberal uh audiences like msnbc you just pick out the things the most outrageous things that trump says or the most outrageous things that x you know conservative congressman like steve king or something like that put that on the air and you know it'll wind people up so my feeling is, by the way, I told you, just sign an exchange with David Froome. From from did you correct me? Hmm, from I, I forgot the pronunciation. And now he, this is a, I mean, he's probably he doesn't show your politics on most things, but this is a, a smart intellectual guy, mm-hmm. and he was sure about the collusion story, if you follow it. And I said to him, look, if Mueller had evidence that Trump was a Manchurian president, 
he would have to come out with it immately. You right. can't wait two years while Trump pulls out of NATO and, and, and you know and, totally. and turns the world upside down. And he said, I said, so wouldn't Mueller have to? He says, no, no, Mueller would have to play it by the book. I say, Mueller's going to go two years with a president doing Vladimir Putin's exactly. agenda. And and David Frum said, yes. No, I mean, and I was like, like, what the fuck? Yeah, I know. I mean, that was that was the first giveaway, right? Because well, what? invasion of. Invasion of, he, yeah, he says it's like invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, totally. Right. And that, I thought of that a lot in this last couple of years. Yeah. They, they would have had to step in before the inauguration. Right. They, Immediately. They, yeah. They, I mean, they, they were they were saying, oh, we had there were all these stories out there. There was a story that came out before the inauguration that the United States intelligence agencies had told Israel to not share information with the Trump government because Trump was was um, uh, under leverages of pressure. That was the quote, leverages of pressure by the Russians. So essentially they were leaking to the to news audiences that Trump was compromised by Russian intelligence. No, if they really thought that, they had to stop the inauguration. That's right. Right? They have to. They have to. Yeah, Mueller would have to just come out with his evidence. Yeah, I mean, right. it was Brennan at that point. It wasn't Mueller oh, yet, but, but yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But, no, but I, I was, yes, Brennan would have to come out with evidence. Right. Look, it's... Um, Oh yeah, I, I agree with you. And by the way, Noam was giving. Uh, I don't know if the, the this is still the offer still on the table. Noam was giving twenty to one odds that Trump would lose. Uh, oh, the election. The election. Yeah, the election. Can, we, can we get there in a second? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, so um, uh, what I was gonna say now. Uh, what you're just talking about? Oh, I, I have a theory about how this all started. Well, mm-hmm. let me start by asking you: What do you think? And you come from a, a, a wing of thought which has never much trusted the FBI or the CIA, right? right? Yeah. What do you think it, the, the Inspector General report, or however the facts come to light, is going to show about how this investigation actually started? So, I mean, I actually spent much of the spring trying to get to the bottom of that myself. And, you know, that, that's not a world that I've ever really covered a whole lot. So I don't have a whole lot of sources in that area. But my best guess is that that it's a combination of overzealous surveillance of because um, they have all these amazing tools now to spy on everybody and the, the the new sort of FISA regime the thing where they're capturing everybody's emails and and phone calls they they have these methods they can use to sort of peek into people's um, uh, communications uh, they take these they're they're called about searches where they can kind of take a backdoor look into things that people have written and I think what what happened was the CIA or the NSA that they were kind of like snooping around everybody who was who was even potentially connected to the Russians and they got in the habit of of looking into some of the people surrounding Trump and maybe they thought they saw something that they, that wasn't really there and this this flowered into a huge investigation and um I think that's the I think that's the reason that they're not telling us exactly how it began is because the original surveillance probably was not wholly legitimate is what I'm guessing. Yeah, this is this is my theory. To, I, this the, 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 Where I do part very much from the Fox News narrative is that this was some sort of, some some kind of partisan vendetta against right. Trump. I, what I think is, I compared it in, uh, to the ticking time bomb scenario in the torture debate, where sure, it's great, but if, but if there's a nuclear bomb, you do what you have to do. And I think that they saw this Steele dossier, which created a cognitive bias environment. Like everything, even if the, everything else that came to them, using Russian dressing to use his joke, you know, anything, oh, aha, this kind of, and they panicked. And the laws that they had available to them were not up to the task of protecting the United States from a Russian uh, Manchurian 
president. Right. So they started bending the rules like you might have to torture somebody in that situation. And before you know it, it you know, you, you're in that world and, you know, and it just expands and then you commit to it. And then you, and, and I think that's how they found themselves in that situation. They began to believe it and, and they were doing what they thought was their patriotic duty in a sense. They, I don't think this was kind of like some sort of treason or. Yeah, I don't think so either, but I think they did, they early on, they started doing things like sending informants at people in the Trump campaign and you know, that, that might've been something they were, they would just do informally you know, it would that it would, it would never come out. That was another thing. Nobody thought Trump was going to win, so none, none of this stuff was ever going to come out. And did you think he would win? No, I mean, I, I I thought he would win the nomination. I never thought he would win the the general. Did you? Uh, well, no, no, I didn't think he was going to win. Did, but 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 I do think he's going to win in in twenty twenty. Do you want to take that action that Noam offered twenty <laughs> one? And I don't. This know time you, I would take it. Yeah. You think he's going to win? I think. I mean, he's got a better chance. I, I think the. It, it's a real chance. At twenty to one odds, it's it's a it's a good deal. Yeah, sure. But there's yeah. twenty people running against him. Surely they've got to well, be able to defeat him. <laughs> my my logic for him not winning, although you know every day since I said it, you look like you have a better shot. Is that well, I didn't take the bet because I you know I'm, I'm a coward. But but I do think he's going to. He won <laughs> by seventy thousand votes in three key states. Seventy thousand votes meaning. If only 35,001 people had voted the other way, it, it would have gone the other way. So they don't even need to win the, the 70,000 votes. And, the, the, and these are places they didn't even campaign. Like, they just wrote it off. Right. Yeah. After all this, the idea that he hasn't regained, or he hasn't lost those 35,000 votes seems to me to be impossible to believe. Well, yeah, but the thing is, Trump, Trump was elected. One of the most amazing stats about Trump his election was that one out of five of his voters disapproved of him when they voted for him. Uh, his disapp his approval rating was like 36% when he got elected. So what, where he won the election was with the 20% of voters who disliked both him and and Hillary Clinton. Uh, he won those voters by like a, fra a factor of two to one. So uh, the theory in his, on the Republican circles, which what I keep hearing is that if he improves his approval rating with among Republicans, He'll be starting in a better place than he was last time. So his approval ratings right now is like 45, 44, 45 percent. So maybe you're right. <coughs> Can you I know. give you my my? I, sure. I've, I've touched on this insight before, or this kind of thing, but I, but I, I I it really applies to Trump. So my theory is that everybody spins everything, even if they're a hundred percent in the right. So if I get a complaint that a customer has been waiting uh, thirty minutes for their hummus. I can bet that two things are probably true. They've been waiting too long for their homeless and it's probably been 15 minutes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, 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 and so then my job as the owner, I'm gonna make it worse. And, and then they complained about the, the, the lazy black waitress who took a long time serving us. So now I got a racist customer lying, but I still have to remember, but wait, but the customer is actually right here. And if I don't see that they're right, I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have a business. I still need to react. This to me, I'll confess, is how I see Trump. Mm -hmm. Trump is the lousy racist customer lying, exaggerating about the homeless. But I do have sympathy for many of the issues he talks about. I do have sympathy for controlling the border. I do have sympathy for business being overregulated. I do have sympathy for knocking down PC culture. I do have sympathy for the white working class who's been shafted by NAFTA 
who, who used to be Pat Buchanan, another person who was allowed to speak is, you know, in the, in the old days. Um, so, I, I, and I try not to let the things, I'm, I'm as offended as the next guy about all the things that anybody would be offended about a guy like Trump. Nevertheless, I'm closer to his direction on these issues than most of the Democrats, except for maybe Biden and, and maybe Mayor Pete, who I, I may be projecting on him because I want him to be what I want him to be, that he's kind of reasonable. But uh, now this is where you, you, you probably support Sanders, right? Is that I mean, a, yeah, I mean, uh, I yeah. like him, but, yeah. you know, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, I, so that's I, where that's where I would disagree. But so that's and, and in what I'm describing is what could explain why he would have really harsh disapprovals. But people would still vote for him. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, nevertheless, he I, I kind of do. I, like, well, I, I can't see him ordering hummus. <laughs> he voted the, the he ordered the taco bowl. Remember when he tweeted out the taco bowl? Oh sure. <laughs> I mean, I am speaking to people that I regard as very, very reasonable. Yeah. People saying that they have not ruled out voting for Trump, which means they're going to vote for him. Yeah. In my experience, that means they're going to vote for him. I think. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe. But the point is, if 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 reasonable people are thinking that, then there's reason to believe. That which I wasn't hearing, by the way, in 2016. Right. There's reason to believe it's going in his direction. <coughs> Things are going in his direction. Yeah. From my limited anecdotal chatter with people, I that's feel like that's interesting. Yeah. Reasonable people. Reasonable is like a, a subjective thing, well, and it's I'll also how informed are the people? I feel like that's one of the problems. Is like none of us has all the information, and if people are certainly getting their news from a limited source, then even reasonable people will then start to have, you know. Uh, ongoing unreasonable beliefs based on just sort of confirmation bias of their own cheerleaders. By the way, this PC issue is huge. I mean, I'm I'm pretty well to do. I have friends who are way more well to do. I don't really care if they raise my taxes or lower my taxes. <coughs> I prefer to pay less taxes, but that, but the the idea that I can't say whatever I want to say, that I have to look over my shoulder, that that there that there's a whole movement out there that might not even respect the idea of a first amendment and and what that trajectory might mean that that really really matters to me and if trump is the imperfect uh guy carrying that message it's it's a tough choice it, it, you know when you hear what's coming out of the mouths of some people on on the i i don't want to say left cuz i don't want to insult you cuz i know you no, but, I mean, but, but whatever whatever you want to call that right that new movement I'll disagree with that assessment. Like, you can say whatever you want, and there are people who can say whatever they want in response. Dude, I lived through this whole Louis C.K. thing. Sure. My kids were threatened. I don't want that. Right, right. But it was, I had, this was not coming from the right. And you have, you have to experience it to understand it. All I did was let the guy go on stage and tell jokes. That's all I did. I mean, I've... In the they, recent Dina Hashem thing, I, I posted some things in support of her and people uh, came on my my page and responded to you know my posts. And I got into a lot of back and forth with very unreasonable people who are pro threatening life, threatening rape. And I'm I'm opposed to that. And I don't think that that is there are people who believe all kinds of things who are threatening. And I don't want that. OK, OK. You may not be representative of it, but we know this is a real thing with too many examples of people who have been ruined and 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 you certainly do understand because you talk to other comedians. That, that what I said is the more damaging thing is that people are shutting up. People are afraid to talk. I mean, you know better than I do, but I've met many journalists 
I met one journalist says, oh, you know, I was going to write a, 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 a Me Too thing. I had a really good take on this guy for the Atlantic. And he says, I said to myself, what am I doing? I have a career to worry about. Why, why, would, I, why would I take the risk? And he wasn't some right-wing nut. He's a liberal guy, you know? Um, just like, like Jane Meyer, she just wrote this thing about Al Franken. And I guess she's one of those few people who has such strong street cred that she could dare to write such a thing to rehabilitate Al Franken. And also, Democratic Party politicians are backing this rehabilitation they of are. Franken. Yeah. I wish he'd run again. Yeah. Do you think he might? I don't know. I don't think so. Don't think he so. just wants his life back, I think. I guess I would say, like, I mean, Aziz is somebody who, you know, there were had horrible things, you know, p- sort of portrayed as he's going to be canceled. He's not going to have a job. And he is, you know, he's has a Netflix special. He's talking about Dude, it. First of all, <laughs> Aziz did, I don't want to say, it, it, Aziz did basically, I think, I don't know how to put See, I'm afraid to talk. He did nothing. <laughs> he had a he had a date where he couldn't read the nonverbal signals of a woman who gave him two uh, episodes of, of oral sex. And then he brought her, put her in a tag. I mean, there's no, no physical coercion, whatever it was. And he had basically two years of his life taken from him. He didn't know which way it was going to go. He was scared. You've seen his reaches. I mean, do you know what it's like to go through that? Like, even if it turns out okay in the end. I know a little bit. People kill themselves with that kind of thing. If Louis C.K. had killed himself, nobody would have been shocked. Uh, Yeah. All those people say, oh, he's got plenty of money. Oh, Nobody would have been surprised if he hung himself to go through that. But you he's, can't, he's, you can't, he's I also would say that, by the way, about any for comic. For two years, work. Aziz couldn't walk into a restaurant without worrying that somebody would come scream at him or pour water on him or a milkshake or whoever knows what the, the thing is. Nobody should have to live that way. I agree. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's really serious. And, and I went through it. And, you know, the, the guy who threatened my kids, he didn't even hide his name. Like, like, like. My theory is that we're all horrible people. We're all nasty and mean, whatever. It's all within us in human nature. Distributes on some kind of curve, but it's all within us. And as soon as you're given license, like this is actually what good people do. This is a righteous thing. The fucking vitriol and nastiness and sadism and bullying that comes out of people is really something to behold. Because it's like, I'm on the right side of this. It's free reign. Let me just call that club owner and threaten his kids. And then I'll go high-fiving my friends. Like, look, look, look how good yeah. I am. Now, Noam, if, if yeah. I agree with you uh, that the culture is sick in that respect. And a good percentage of them always mentioned my race. Somehow being a white male is part of this, which is um, also um, ridiculous. So, okay, assuming, and I, and I agree with you, that the culture is sick, that the, culture, that the spirit of free speech is not flourishing in America— how would uh, voting for Trump or electing Trump help the situation, or is it just sending a message? I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that? <laughs> you know? uh, I don't think it would help a lot of things. Uh, I don't see Trump as uh, you know a leader, a bastion of free speech. I don't think that even if you think that he he wants to say whatever he wants, and then there are people who are like free speech. We need to be able to say whatever I want. I think it is also an important question to think about. We can say whatever we want. What do we want to say? And why, like, I'm, again, let me express my sympathy for, like, that's illegal to threaten your kids. I don't know if no, you- No, I don't need the sympathy. Yeah. It just, okay. it, it, and I think that, uh, that, I think that's not what a good person does. Like, on, there's no sides of good person and bad person. So, a good person doesn't treat people like so that. So to answer Dan's question, yes. I think that, that there's two tracks to it. One is actually the long-term legal consequences 
of these things. So there's Supreme Court justices, there's legislation, uh, what you can get, there's painting over murals in San Francisco, these, these kind of things that uh, maybe there'll be an attack on the Jefferson Memorial as being, you know, th- this kind of thing. So to have a, a president who doesn't go for that stuff uh, can actually have uh, an impact on, on legal manifestations of this. And then all, the other side is it kind of makes us all feel better to to know that this is all a little bit of an illusion, that Twitter really isn't reality. Like in, in public, everybody toes the line, but then they go and vote for Trump. So maybe we don't have to be so worried about this. Uh, maybe people are more reasonable to give them credit for, and maybe that gives us a little license. I don't know, I'm, I'm riffing, but uh, you know, I, I, I could totally see. There, there's another uh, place yeah. where where the the Twitter Twitter thing has kind of impacted the world and, and it's also it's made reporters afraid just to report things that have nothing to do with any controversial topics like uh, just to uh, take an example when I first started covering Trump and I was with a whole bunch of journalists he you know a lot some of his speech was you know inflammatory you could call it racist but there are other parts of the speech where he would say things like, you know, look, Jeb Bush's campaign chairman is a head of a major pharmaceutical company. He's not going to lower your pharmaceutical prices. All right. And then he would say in the crowd would be full of vets. And he would say, I think our Mideast wars are a bad deal. You know, they're, they're, they're a strain on our on uh, communities that have a lot of military people in it. So if you go to write the story about why Trump has appeal, you would list all the things. You would say, look, he, there are some clear areas where he's appealing to people's racial frustrations, but then he's also saying some true things about pharmaceutical companies and their influence in politics. Our you know, military commitments are don't work and people suffer because of it. But the reporters who did that got blasted by other people in the press for, for pointing out the fact that Trump's even said a few th- true things. Right. Whereas I thought that was a, a crucial part of the story that it's the same thing as your, you know, as your customer who says that the hummus is is 30 minutes late. It's actually 15 minutes, but it is late. Yeah. Right. So you have to actually point that out. I mean, that's you can't leave out pieces of reality. And what Trump voters see is they see the press leaving this stuff out. And that convinces them that the press is full of it, that they're full of shit, that they're going to lie about him, right? And that makes them disbelieve everything that we say about him. And that's a, that's a huge problem. Would you agree with this observation about Trump? He's at, I mean, it's been pretty much empirically proven that he's told more lies than any president ever, totally. right? right? Yes. However, he's probably told fewer lies about what he actually wanted to do than any president has. The things that we didn't, we didn't credit him for the sincerity of his core, uh, the things that he ran on. Like very early on, they got some transcript of him on the phone with the president of Mexico. And he's like, no, no, you need to build that wall. I promised everybody that Mexico would build the wall. Like we never thought he would really tell the president of Mexico to right. build the wall. And right. same thing with, with Australia and some, some um, refugees that were coming in. Like every, and, and almost The immigrant ban, I mean, the Muslim immigrant ban. He yeah, said we, he was going to do it. He did it. <laughs> he tried know? it, right? Yeah. So, He's not, so it's a, it's a complex kind of liar. It's a liar kind of the salesman liar, but he's not the, 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 the person that I, the sociopath that I thought he was in a sense that I, I thought that he would just do it, that he hadn't, he didn't really believe in anything, but he seems to actually believe these things. Yeah. I think he's also, 
I mean, he's he's open about who he is, you know, or what he is, right? I mean, he lies in word and, and in fact, but nobody could be mistaken about what Donald Trump is. When he gets up on the stage, he's not pretending. I mean, he may a, a little bit pretend to be the man of the people, but it's it's different from a traditional politician who gets up there and says, oh, I've bailed. Hey, I'm just like a, I'm a farmer just like you. Everybody knows that's bullshit right yeah. trump gets up there and says i'm a billionaire you know i hang out with models and but that's and he, not even necessarily true we can't even see his tax returns he's, okay yeah. well he but he but he's <laughs> he might not be a billionaire okay but he's he's rich anyway he's rich, right yeah. i mean you know he, yeah his father did give him a hundred million dollars yeah uh, look <laughs> he's rich he's the point rich. the point is that he's at least he's at least talking about what his actual lifestyle is and and voters see that and they say this person is more genuine than the stuff suits who come in here every four years and on both sides of the aisle. And and that doesn't mean that he's telling the truth or that he has good policies, that he's a good person. It just means that traditional politics seems fake to people. And and this this has appeal. There's something else Try about it. Trump. Go ahead. In a hundred years, are we gonna look at this? Are people gonna well, we won't be here probably, but uh absent a medical breakthrough, but are people gonna look at at this as a as as the as the moment everything changed in American politics? I mean it's it feels like it, right? Doesn't it? Is there any going back now to to, to politics as usual? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think Trump is a singular you think he's a, he's a singular event and but I will tell you this the second that there is like a palatable Jeb Bush type Republican candidate. I fear with what's going on in like the intersectional community, you're going to see a huge white flight to the Republican Party in a way that Trump is keeping at bay right now in a horrible way where the two-party system will actually be virtually people of color and, and, and their cheers and, and, and white people where you can look at somebody walking down the street and pretty much decide uh, who they're going to vote for unless... They desist from this open season on uh, saying it's wrong to generalize about anybody by their race unless it's white people. We can say whatever we want. Um, this bashing, you, how many voters are you going to get if you're going to use their race as a synonym for awfulness? I mean, it's crazy. It, 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 Trump right now, you know, with the thing, the send her back thing, I think even... Yeah, people keeping... pe people are saying they don't want to vote. That, that there's that there's you see a lot of the sort of influential, sort of centrist uh, like commentators saying I don't I don't want to support either. Like Thomas Friedman, uh, David Brooks, they're kind of all saying neither side appeals to me now, and that's that's interesting. I don't. I mean, right. Yeah, what happens when it's uh, John right. Kasich? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Boom. So that's interesting. Have you have you talked on the show already about the idea of like saying him saying go back to your country uh, as like that's racist or are you do you not think that is so? He's the guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious about. Uh, yeah. What do I think? I think that go, yeah. um, I think that to credit Trump. First of all, I mean. I'm just saying this, the expression, forget about Trump. The expression, go back to your country. I'm not a yeah. mind reader, and I don't know whether it was racist. I know that when I was a kid, uh, basically synonymous saying, America, love it or leave it. If you don't like it, leave it, was aimed at young white people. I know that- but go back to your country. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know that when I have, I have a very close friend of mine. I don't even want, I, he, Andy knows him. Uh, my, my friend knows him. Uh, um, and uh, he's Dominican. I mean, we're good friends. He comes to my house. We've gone on trips together. We're good friends. And he hates this country. 
Like he hates this country. And one day we're having a conversation and he's just saying the most outrageous, dishonest, untrue things about America. I said, Jesus Christ, if you don't fucking like it, why don't you go back? You know, and I felt, and that wasn't because of his color. It didn't, he, he could have been, he could have been any color. He could have been Israeli. It didn't matter to me what color it was. I, I responded viscerally, rightly or wrongly, to the, what I, what offended me. Um, if, uh, if, if I were to apply a but-for test, like with uh, Josh Gibson, uh, why wasn't he in the majors? Well, he wasn't in the majors because he was black. Didn't matter, good hitter, bad hitter. Didn't matter that they knew they could win the World Series with him. That's racist. I can be sure of that. Is Trump reacting to the politics of these people or their color? Or both. Or, or both. I don't know, but I tend to think it's first and foremost the politics because Trump is the type of guy who picks up whatever is around and bashes you with it. If you were in a prison camp, he'll bash you for the fact you got caught. If you're disabled, he'll make fun of you're disabled. If you're fat, you're a fat pig. If you're Carly Fiorina, it's a horrible face. It, it, it doesn't matter to him. Whatever is not attached to the ground, he'll pick up and hit you over the head he, with it. But he hasn't said to Bernie Sanders, go back to where you came from. He hasn't no. said to any... No, I'm not... No, he, on the contrary, he says nothing but nice things about Bernie Sanders. And, and that may be... A, uh, sorry, but Bernie... But they, and these, uh, these four, you know, bashing him, bashing him, they said... But I, I, and Bernie isn't? So, so my answer is, no, not in the same way. My answer is, I don't know, but it was a reprehensible thing to say, for sure. For sure. Is, is it a reasonable question in a case where somebody is... Especially because one of the people is black, which I don't even think... I, I would not surprise me if he didn't even know who Ayanna Presley was. But it's so absurd because if, if you're going to measure... Americanist by time in the country, as it were. Nobody's more American than most black Americans. Is it is it ever reasonable to say to somebody, look, I mean, I've been hanging out. I noticed you you hate America, uh, everything it stands for, its history, its culture, its people. Did you ever think maybe you might be happy somewhere else? Is that, <laughs> is that, I mean, is that, a ne is that never a reasonable question? Trump himself ran his whole first campaign on make America a great again, implying America's not good. So why didn't okay. he just leave? Can I, can I tell you what I think is more interesting than you tell me? Sure. I, what I do think, what I do think was terrible is that the Chiron, I always get the word, Chiron is Chiron, mm -hmm. yeah. we're referring to Trump's racist tweets, which to me, uh, implies that this is, you know, the wall is blue and the tweets are racist and no reasonable person could differ. There's no subtlety to it. And uh, and I just find it conspicuous virtue signaling, forgive that phrase, language. For instance, Sarah Jung had tweets, which, you know, you could really, you'd have to, you, which are ra on, on their face racist enough that you have to try to explain why they're not. They would never, nor should they, describe them as Sarah Jung's racist tweets on the Chiron. Uh, Ilhan Omar talks about Jews and dual loyalty and whatever it is that, you know, a lot of people thought was that they would never describe her as an anti-Semite. I guess I think that the, what the president says is a bigger deal than the no, Chiron. No, the question is, no, the question is like, they shut down the conversation by presenting it in such a way that a lot of people think there's some, there might be some nuance to whether these are racist or not, but they know not to talk about it because CNN has told us that even a, no reasonable person can have a different opinion here. That offends me. I don't need to be told what to think. Just tell me what he said. I mean, I think Trump Trump also, I mean, he has that carnival barker side of him, that WWE side of him that 
regardless of what the politics are, he understands that race is like the most powerful marketing technique in this country, that it's, it, it's a guarantee that if you, if you kind of flirt with the line of what is and isn't acceptable, that that instantly will be everywhere on the news. And he did this over and over and over again in 2016 when he was trying to get more attention. And I, I just think that's part of his personality is to kind of search out the very limit of what you can get away with at that moment and then go a little bit over the line and then kind of sort of fight people uh, in, in the moment of controversy. I mean, also, if, think? Yeah. if America's race obsessed, as you just implied, can a reasonable person argue that, and Noam has made this point, that we're not ready for more diversity? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this country did pretty well or has done over the years. That, that, I mean, look, we had a long way to go, but I, I mean. He's not doing my point justice. <laughs> I, the, point, the point that I made uh -huh. was that I don't see how we can say that we have a responsibility to non-Americans, I don't mean that in a harsh way, to bring them in, open, basically open, we have to bring anybody in here. But once they get here, we don't want more than 20% Asians at Harvard. That's what I say. So if we're not ready to say, okay, once you're here and you're an American, you're an American. And if you score well and you're go to Harvard, we don't, we don't care what your DNA is. And, and I'll go a step further and say that maybe there, because there's no limiting principle to that, but, I, but I'll acknowledge that if you want to just take the situation of black Americans and say that their experience here is so unique that we are going to carve out something for them in colleges, fine. But you explain to me why you're going to separate whites and Asians or anybody else. Like, like if, we, if, we're not, cause if we're not ready to treat everybody as Americans, then we're not ready to tell, open up the borders and bring it in from wherever they come from. And, and that, that's what I said. So, so at, at the point where I, I saw the country saying, listen, it doesn't matter where you're from. Once you're here, you're just a human. Then I say, yeah, who cares where you come from? But I'm not the one who cares where they come from. Actually, it's the same people who want them to come in, who care very much where they come from. Ironically, as soon as they are Americans with rights, that's my, been my point. Is that a crazy point? Yeah, I don't know. That's a little above my pay grade. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> but, Can I say a thing that yeah. I, I also think about the Chiron that uh, you didn't get, you weren't, they were, if, you, if they're telling you what to think, yeah. you didn't think it, you know, it, they said what they presented and this you're smug, you, you know, they were so self-satisfied when they typed in racist tweets. Uh, it's interesting that with Trump, you're like, <laughs> I can't know what's inside him, but you can know what's inside these guys. No. Oh yes. Yes. I, yes. I, I, I do. I have that talent. <laughs> I do not. I, I, I'll channel Trump in another way. We we'll probably wrap it up, but I had this thought. So, you know, people are always outraged that Trump doesn't respect the law. And I was really trying to search my soul as to why it doesn't bother me. And I think I realized why, and I think this is accurate. No businessman respects the law. <laughs> to a businessman, the law is a bunch of well-intentioned rules that were placed there for good reason, the unintended consequences of which we have to figure out a way to get around so that we can stay in business and, 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 and manage it. But, and this yeah. is the way businessmen are programmed. And, and anybody who runs a business is nodding. So this is why, but, but the importance of this is the following. I don't think Trump ever wants to break the law. He wants his attorneys to tell, keep him on the right side of the law. He's not a criminal in the sense of a criminal who embraces, I'm going to be lawless. He's a guy who doesn't respect the law 
But the last thing he wants to do is get in trouble with the law. And, and when, you, if, when you see him that way, a lot of these stories become less believable. Like, do you think he really said, yeah, I want you to pay off Stormy Daniels. I don't care if it's a campaign violation. No. He says, I want to pay off Stormy Daniels. You tell me how to do it. I guess. Uh, what, yeah. and, and the other example that was um, firing uh, McGann. McGann? Uh, he told, no, firing Mueller. He told McGann, I want you to fire Mueller. And McGann says, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. He didn't tell him it's, it might be a legal problem, Mr. President. And it's, it's, he says, well, I, you know, I see Alan Dershowitz on TV every night telling me, the unitary executive, I can fire anybody I want. And I'm telling you to do it. And you say to me, I'll see what I can do. How can, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not the act of a criminal. If, the, if, if, if McGahn said to him, no, Mr. President, that would be illegal. And he said, do it anyway. That's a criminal. And I don't think Trump is that kind of guy. I mean, I, I would counter that you can look back in his history and you can find that he's come up with a couple of more than a few scams in his past that are scams like yeah. the Trump university, Trump university. right? Well, I'm not, I do know the details because that that's one, that's one that offends me more than almost any of them. Uh -huh. But I don't really know if he just licensed the name in that one or if he was involved in the scam. Well, the whole, the whole, idea of that was that he was licensing the name and that they were making promises about access to yeah. Trump or personalized instruction that just weren't coming off. And he, he had to either know about it or he had the responsibility to know about it, one, one or the other. Was that a crime? Well, the court certainly found that it was against civil, the law. Civil, civil. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's It was question. against the law, but not a crime. No, I don't I think they probably could have made a a Maybe. case there Maybe. if they had wanted to, you know? So I think there's a, there's more than a few of those in his past where if, if prosecutors had been more aggressive, they probably could have. All right. I'll, 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 I'll accept that. And also he is a little reckless, whatever it is, but I, but I do think that most people don't understand. I, I think there is something to what I'm saying about mm -hmm. a businessman's view of the law. And so what I would say to that is I don't think that makes for the best president. No, it doesn't. Because if the well, country is his company, he is certainly not thinking about every employee. He's not the first president to have a disrespect for the law. He's been much more open about it than, than, than many of them. I mean, you agree, m much of what is about Trump is just that he's so vulgar as to say and do these things out in the open. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I think you're, I think you're right that a lot of small, you know, if you own a restaurant in this city, you're completely fed up with all the different things you have to do for the city and, you know, the inspectors and I all think, that stuff. So I'll give you an example. So I was told by my uh, employment practices attorney that, that a manager cannot uh, sleep. No, a manager cannot. That's another one. A manager cannot pick up a waitressing shift. I'm not even going to the rationale why. Unless you pay the manager hourly and not by a salary and call them a shift supervisor, in which case they can pick up a waitressing shift. Right. So this is the kind of non, so, so again, this I say, there's, there is some legit logic to the reason they passed this law, but the unintended consequence, I have to get around. And I could give you 50 examples like this of, of, of the, you know, stretching my elbow like this way, just to, to stay in compliance with the law. And Trump understands this too. And you just, you get a disrespect for the law, at least when it comes to the law of commerce and stuff like that. So we disagree. We agree. We agree that he has a disrespect for the law. We agree. Well, but, I, but, I, but I think that's actually a, a good point though, because you know, when, like when I, when I cover elections, what I find is that a lot of people who, you know, are in, are in red States who vote, who vote for vote Republican, a lot of them 
are small are people in business who you know they don't come from the professional class right they're not lawyers doctors uh and so their their experience of america and laws and everything is completely different from somebody who like works in a university or has an artistic job or something like that so there is something to the idea that trump is appealing to something different oh and right? add to that i just love bernie sanders latest labor problem but add to, add to that that the the Democrats, I don't want to generalize, but just the feeling that you get as a businessman is that we're the enemy. We're the bad guys. I employ a hundred people, have countless families that, you know, that, that have been supported through the decisions and the, the navigation that I've done, but we're somehow the bad guy and we're always taking advantage and we always have more money. But if you're a movie star and you make millions, somehow you're just wonderful. You never employed anybody, you know, you just go and, and you get tired of being bashed by people who don't know a fucking thing about what they're talking about. They don't understand what it means to put everything on the line and take risks and run a business, meet a payroll. I mean, they have no idea. No well, idea. I, I have always said that I have great respect for Noam. The Not fact- for me. Is, listen, I'm talking, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about, like, I'm talking about the small guys, like, like, like the Korean deli owners. You know what well, they Well, him too, but I don't know them. I just, all I, I know Noam, does Noam has a tendency to underestimate his income, that's none of my business anyway. <laughs> so I have no right to ask. I, I'm, curious, I'm a curious guy, but it, but that's, that's not my business. But if, if no one were making $100 million a year, I would, which he's not, obviously, but, but I would say, great. I'd probably ask for more money, but I would also at the same time say, yeah, it's his business and, and you know, and... And, and I, great. I, I buy I buy jokes low and sell them high. That's my that's my business. And if you're making a hundred million dollars a year, I think you like, should be on board with reparations. <laughs> I'm not against reparations. I, I I I'm not I'm, I'm not against the of all the the policies like that that I have problems with. Reparations is one. I mean, many years ago, even before it was hot, I said, well, there's a certain logic to this. You would have gotten the reparations, and that wealth disappeared, and it would have been passed down in some way. It's not a crazy idea. Oh yeah. But when you start to bring in the the practical obstacles, and then also start to think, well, how do you distinguish between all these government programs, which have clearly been aimed at this problem, and from writing people a check? And then also, what if they get the check? And then white people say, okay, we're even Steven now. We're I, done now. We're done here. So, I have, you know, there's good reason. I have a legal question with regard to reparations that probably nobody here can answer. But after how many, like if they discovered, uh, somebody was digging and discovered a treasure, and it was established that that treasure belonged to my great 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 grandfather or something like that. You're shit out of luck. Do do would I legally can I get it? No. You know, or or is there a certain number of generations where it's like okay, that's it, it goes, but it's cheats to the state or whatever. A certain number of years, even right? It doesn't. I mean, there's there's no one answer, but I don't see any idea that you could get something after that kind of time. I don't think they probably stole it from somebody anyway. It could be, but but I just wonder if like if we if we had start with a supposition that. Okay, these slaves were owed money; they never got it. So uh, their descendants have to get it. Uh, uh, Illegally speaking, I, I, is there a point at but, which? But, but the it doesn't law need to be legal. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, no, morally, morally, morally is a different question. That. Morally yeah, is you know, a different question. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering what legally, yeah. Yeah. It, if what 
well, the law ha- is the thing that's been getting in the way all this time. The law has been continually racist and discriminating just, against black people. Yeah. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm not against <laughs> yeah, you. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, 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 I'm so, not against it either. I'm just curious what legally one is entitled to after a certain number of generations. I'm sure we have to wrap it up. Oh, but, but I, you know, he did write an article about uh, moon landing conspiracy theories. I thought. Oh, was I didn't know that. Yeah, it's on the sheet that you didn't read. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read his article on the sheet. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's like, why do people still believe that we didn't go to the moon? I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with they just don't believe the press as much anymore. And they don't believe uh, government officials. I mean, NASA doesn't have the record of lying that other people in government do. But I, I definitely get that more than I've ever gotten it before in the last like five years. You so. think there's more moon landing conspiracy theories now than there were in the 70s? More conspiracy theories, right? Like the, when you travel around the country, people just do not believe what they read in the news. So and you, you can hear from more people now, like more people have a platform and a voice. And so there's different niche like thoughts being pervaded sure. more than there ever were. Yeah. And, and it's getting farther and farther from it. So there's fewer and fewer people with direct experience. But uh, do you guys know uh, Adam Conover, the uh, Adam? ruins everything like he did a good thing about the moon landing and about how how impractical it would have been to to fake it uh, uh-huh. yeah well no i mean but people people don't have to really think that far you it's know? easier to go to the moon and yeah. than to fake it yeah do you believe bush lied about weapons of mass destruction lied lied i mean the administration for sure lied you know i mean i think it's it's hard to because he could have been briefed and told you know, that X, Y, and Z uh, exist. They could have told him that the, the yellow cake thing, um, that they, that he was actively seeking uranium and they, they could have told him that this meant a certain thing, but, but for sure, for sure his administration was, was massaging the facts to, to reporters. Well, everybody sure. spins, right? Yeah. Like I said, but the reason I think it's similar to the Mueller argument. I said, well, if, if you're going to have a whole conspiracy to go invade a country on this lie and you know it's a lie, uh, you're going to find weapons. Like, like if you're that cynical and you're going to have that many people, you're going to bring some plutonium, whatever, and you're going to sprinkle it and you're going to say, we found the weapons. Like, you don't go in there knowing that, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to be found out. Right. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the the, the, the British did this commission a couple of years ago. They, was, they studied this whole problem and so they released all these emails between and communications between us and the British in the lead up to the war. And I think that the main thing is our original reason for going had nothing to do with WMDs. Like we, we just believed that we had uh, the right to sort of invade countries that were no longer in compliance. Like we're, we're going we wanted to reform the middle. We had these high, highfalutin yeah. notions about reforming the Middle East, right? Yeah, exactly. But we needed an excuse to go in. So they cooked up this whole thing about violation of the UN uh, inspections regime dating back to the 90s. And in order to be in violation, they had to have WMDs. So it was sort of a cause and effect thing. I, I, think, I, I think that's how it happened. It's all very human and it plays out in a million different situations. I've been in, I can't think of it offhand, but I've been in these situations where I want to do something. And the real reason I want to do it is, uh, and, and you know, it, 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 there's two sides to it and somebody might disagree or whatever it is. And the lesser reason might be very, very clean. I say, look, there's nothing you can say. I have it right here. He promised, da, da, da. Like firing an employee, let's say. So maybe the real reason I want to fire the employee is because I, I, they're they're terrible. But you need to go buy the books with some other thing. But how do I prove? And so he might, you, you still know I didn't steal whatever. So I have this, so I have a technicality of some kind, but they actually did this and it's fireable. So that's what I point to. He has weapons of mass destruction. 
That wasn't really what I was, this was all about. Right. But it was the, the and, and there's a logic to that, you know. Uh, the last thing. But, but, just to get it on yeah. that point. So from that point, from that perspective, it's, you, you understand Bush. The, the thing that's inexcusable is the reporters who, who bought it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's his job to find an excuse if he wants to go to war in, 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 in Iraq, but it's certainly not our job to buy it. Like, I think that's, I think that's the problem. It's not, also his job to not do that, I no, think. No, I, yeah. I, I, I agree, but, <laughs> yeah, but that's it's your, different. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. 9-11 had a tremendous effect on, on everybody's psychology. Even we didn't even realize it at the time. I mean, right. so that it became that we were like the police officers who are like, there's been a murder and we got to punish somebody for it, right. which I think is also bad when police officers do that. I, sure, I, no, I, I was totally opposed to the war. I'm just, I know you were, but, but I'm just, you and Janine Garofalo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I had this thought about the world tracer. Like it always bugged me. This, it was called the freedom tower. Yes, sir. It's always seen to me that the obvious thing to do, I mean, the obvious thing to do was to build two towers just like they were with an extra story, like to fuck you. And, <laughs> and like, I couldn't, but apparently one of the things they were worried about is that, you know, no one will ever want to stay in these offices again after what happened. Oh, hmm. is that the reason? That was one of the, that was one of the things well, going around at the time. Also one tower is better. Fuck you. You know, Well, yeah, but it was so, it was so impossible even within a few years of 9-11 to imagine there would come a time where we're not worried about this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just very, it, it, it's, it was beyond our ability to. Yeah, there's a, there's a well, comedian, just real quick, Jaffer Khan, he's great. Uh, he used to teach like social studies or uh, to like, you know, younger kids who were not born when 9-11 happened. So for them, it's just like another boring thing that they have to, they're like, oh, yeah. we get it, Mr. <laughs> Khan. Yeah. Oh, we, it was sad. <laughs> you have to sit through these ceremonies but, on TV with little kids. But I'm surprised people want to work in the Freedom Tower, especially on the higher floors. I would be, I mean, if, I suppose if you gave me a free apartment on the top of the thing, I guess I would take it, but, but I- But you're I would, old. That's the thing. A lot of these, these, these people weren't- <laughs> No, but what I'm saying is I think we're, we're still afraid. Nah, I don't, I don't think- You're afraid. still afraid. You're still afraid, yeah. <laughs> so last thing, so that's it. So I wanted to just uh, end kind of where we started with this, the, the problem with journalism. I think, and I think you think the same thing, that um, because of the, like used to be a, a, a newspaper- and newspaper would have to lead with some kind of flashy stories, but then the, the meat of the newspaper was the newspaper was not being sold by all the stuff inside. Now every story is basically sold a la carte, right? And so every story has to has to be clickbait, right? Nobody's buying the Washington Post anymore. You're clicking, and just like every car salesman, no matter how much integrity he thinks he's going to have when he goes into that line of work, ends up becoming a liar. I feel that's the pressure on reporters. You, you yeah, I did that really inter, integrous story and nobody read it. Yeah. I got to be flashier. That's totally look I I spent like 10 years doing those 6 and 7,000 word stories about like financial word financial corruption and credit default swap stuff like, you know. Influential but, stories that you did. Yeah, but I mean, you know, not everybody reads that stuff. You know, right. it's it's investigative journalism, but you, you you can't do that because people you will not get the clicks now for that for that stuff so you got to do something faster and more grabby you know in the headline and so everybody's under that pressure and um is there know, any solution to that i have no i mean i don't know it's because because it, you have to make the money right so where's the funding going to come from if you don't if you don't do it the way we have we have it structured have you heard about the is it the correspondent 
Do you know this? It's like, uh, I think it started in Europe somewhere and it's now, it's sort of like citizen journalist, like it's uh, crowdsourced, oh, it's you know, crowdsourced? money, money wise, uh -huh. like to get so that there's no, you know, no ads, no, uh, the same concern. I think it's called the correspondent. And so that's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it's going to have to be something like that because like, if you do it the, the way we're doing it, it's just all going to be like Kardashians and like racist crap. And you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, it's, it's just devolved into into a nightmare. Right. We got to wrap it up. We already kept you here longer than I think uh, we we promised we would keep you. Uh, I hope you had a good time. I did. Thank you so much. I um, I used to come to this place a lot when I was younger. So will yeah. you start coming back? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, would, so I, would, I, would, I would be awesome. Yeah. Come hang out. No, you live in New York? Uh, Jersey City. But, uh, oh, that'd yeah. be fantastic. Yeah, right up. All right, uh, Matt Taibbi. Thank you very much. Uh, what you have a Twitter handle you want to share with the at mtaibbi.com or uh, at mtaibbi. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Mike Kaplan is M Y Q K A P L A N. Didn't you go back to M I K E? Or you you've been on Facebook? My name is Michael. My name's Mike. You can you can spell it however you want, but M Y Q Kaplan will get you all of my social media. Well, you know where to find me. It's at Dan Natterman. And also, please uh, email us at podcast. Podcast at comedycellar.com. With comments, suggestions. Uh, questions? Questions. Ways we can make the podcast better, what you like about the podcast and what you don't. Uh, this has been one of my favorite podcasts ever. I really appreciate oh, well, thank you coming. It was really fun. Thank you, Zach. Good night, everybody. Good night.